Hello and welcome to Science Matters, the podcast of the Georgia Tech College of Sciences. I'm Renee San Miguel. Does life exist elsewhere in the universe? If so, how would we know? What conditions would signal that life exists in some distant planet outside our solar system or on the moons of Jupiter and Saturn? You don't have to be an astrobiologist to ask these questions, but they are questions that the NASA Astrobiology Program is trying to answer with the help of educational institutions like Georgia Tech. Right now we're trying to get mapping so we can get a uh, three-dimensional digital model of the entire area on this side. That's Amanda Stockton, an assistant professor in the School of Chemistry and Biochemistry. This is from the first in a NASA video series called Astrobiology in the Field, which premiered in late 2018. Here Stockton is in Iceland, studying a famously extreme environment of fire and ice right out of a Game of Thrones episode. We're talking volcanoes and glaciers. Her work there could tell us more about the prospect of habitability, developing and sustaining life, in extreme environments elsewhere in our solar system, like Mars or the moons of Jupiter and Saturn. She's there as part of a NASA program called Feldspar, or Field Exploration and Life Detection Sampling through Planetary Analog Sampling. And yes, Feldspar is also the name of one of the minerals Stockton finds a lot in her field work. Since flying to these areas around the solar system is rather expensive, uh, it's a lot cheaper to use uh, locations on Earth that are terrestrial analogs of these extremes in order to better understand whether those systems could actually be habitable. That's Stockton back on Georgia Tech's campus during a lecture appropriately titled Searching for Habitability at the Extremes. While they conduct that search, Stockton and other scientists are helping the space agency determine possible landing sites for the next phase of uncrewed and crewed space missions. Her team will also help determine what scientific instruments should be on those missions, like the Europa Clipper, set to leave for one of Jupiter's most intriguing moons in 2023. Amid the most extreme locations on Earth, Stockton searches for fossils, biomarkers, and other evidence of past or present life, just as space probes and astronauts will do during future missions to other planets and moons. If probes and on-site analysis work on Earth, then maybe they will work on dusty Mars or the frigid yet watery Enceladus, one of Saturn's moons. Because if life could find a way in unforgiving Earth environments, then maybe it could find a way somewhere out there. So we now have our samples back in the lab, and everyone who comes in this room has to wear a face mask so that we do not spray all of our bugs on the samples when we talk. And it's very That's Stockton once again from the NASA video in a clean room near her Iceland camp getting ready to analyze samples. That analysis will include looking for signs of extremophiles or any organism that has adapted to life in an extreme environment. If Stockton and her researchers are helping NASA figure out what scientific instruments should be on future space probes, then how do they determine what needs to be analyzed? Also, where in space are the best locations for exploring? So it's not like you're flying blind. Uh, We have lots of information about many interesting locations in our solar system, Mm -hmm. from uh, flybys to orbiters, etc. That is not to detract from the fact that we still need 
more missions to better cover very exciting targets, uh, particularly small bodies mm-hmm. um, in the asteroid belt and the Kuiper belt, uh, and just <laughs> the Jupiter Trojans. There's just a million small bodies out there that we don't have very much good information on. Uh, but for the larger planetary bodies, um, we do have some information to help us. Most of it has been remote sensing, mm-hmm. uh, where basically based on the colors of light that's reflected off of the planetary surface, sure. you can tell, you can have some information about what it's made of. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to say you can tell. Um, yeah. For for example, Europa, uh, one of my favorite icy moons, mm-hmm. uh, we can tell based on its reflectance um, spectrum of, of that light that comes off of it, uh, from the sun, that it's mostly water, mm. and then we can see that there's some areas that are not water, and whenever we go in the lab and we try to duplicate that spectrum of reflected light from those areas that are not water, uh, it looks like we could be looking at like hydrated uh, sodium calcium sulfates, but we don't know that for a fact, and in order to know that for a fact, we need to land. We need to be there. And we need to be there. Mm-hmm. And so we need to bring the right tools that could detect, is it sulfate? Is it calcium? Is it sodium? Uh, what if it was also a mix of chloride? Mm. You know, sodium chloride uh, irradiated can get you um, more in the, the, the reddish regime as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about organics? Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. what, what, if, what if there are microbes underneath mm-hmm. that icy surface of Europa living in that subsurface global ocean? We're not flying completely blind. Sure. But we need more information. So Europa Clipper, just to, to go back to my favorite moon here, mm-hmm. uh, will help us get more of that information so we'll have a better idea of what tools and techniques to land. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing that we do is uh, use our own Earth and locations here to try to figure out um, what instruments work well, what analyses work well, mm. uh, what just gives us horribly messy data that we can't figure out stuff, uh, which, you know, uh, that, that happens that too. That does happen. Um, so we've got, the, we've got the analogs and we have some... Analog um, environments that, that might match up to what you will find out there. Right. Okay. Right. right. So icy regions, ocean regions, and that's, that's, the, that's the, whole, um, the whole goal of that oceans across space and time. Oceans Across Space and Time, a romantic, very sci-fi sounding name for an international team of interdisciplinary scientists, including Stockton and several other Georgia Tech scientists. It's part of the Network for Life Detection funded by the NASA Astrobiology Program. The focus is indeed on ocean worlds and whether life was or is there. Georgia Tech Associate Professor Brittany Schmidt is OAST's principal investigator, but really, what Schmidt calls her robot oceanographer, Icefin, does the investigating. That is Icefin, a torpedo-shaped robotic autonomous underwater vehicle with plenty of instrumentation to analyze any life under the Ross Ice Shelf of Antarctica. This audio is from Icefin doing just that in 2015. If everything goes right with testing and modifications, it could be doing its analyzing in other worlds, such as the waters of Europa. Stockton and her team have been developing microfluidics instrumentation, that is, devices that can control and measure microscopic amounts of liquids that could join the instruments of IceFin. But the original robotic vehicle is already providing some new info about life there. 
with um, under ice submarines. My group has uh, been building a um, microfluidic cell counter to go on uh, Brittany Schmidt's submarine. Oh, wow. uh, unmanned underwater vehicle. It's not a submarine. Mm-hmm. Um, distinction between whether there's people on it uh, yeah, <laughs> or sure. people sure. driving it uh, from un- above. Understood. So now we're learning a lot more about uh, the under ice environment. Mm-hmm. Um, beautiful pictures from uh, these little... Um, like sea anemones, but they grow down off the ice rather than up off the floor. Huh. Uh, That's weird. It's, it's absolutely amazing. And then um, with some of the other technology that my group has been building, we now have the ability to build an instrument system that can survive uh, hitting an icy moon uh, without having to slow down first. Okay. Which saves you, you an You can awful hit it at full speed? Is what full speed. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Five kilometers per second. Uh, that's 50,000 G impact. Um, okay. We've tested up to that, and almost everything has survived. For the price of one Europa lander, you could fly uh, maybe a hundred of these little guys. They're like the size of a Coke can. Wow. About the same weight, too. There are other tempting warmer analog environments on Earth that could duplicate other potential planetary targets, such as Mars. One of them is the Atacama Desert in northern Chile. There's lots of excellent analog environments, but there's no one perfect analog environment. Each each thing that you want to mimic about an extraterrestrial location uh, you can find something on Earth to mimic that one thing, but you're not going to mimic all of the things sure. because we can't do reduced gravity and high radiation and really, really cold ice, mm. uh, really, really thick ice above a completely sterile ocean. Like, these are not, these are not options on Earth. Um, so for Mars, um, there's lots of excellent analogs. The Atacama Desert is the oldest, driest desert on Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, very low biomass there, um, but still things things grow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, even in the um, some of the driest regions, there have been um, detection mm-hmm. of uh, organic compounds. There's um, El Tatio, which is a, a hydrothermal system mm-hmm. in uh, the Atacama region. That's uh, another one of these good analogs. Um, when you're looking at uh, trying to find something with like absolute lowest biomass that's still spectroscopically similar, mm-hmm. you're looking at really new volcanoes uh, in Iceland. Iceland is very active. Uh, new volcanoes uh, roughly every four years-ish, which oh. is awesome because that's about the length of a standard NASA grant. Um, <laughs> <laughs> very, very convenient how that worked out. <laughs> yeah. So um, you may remember Eyjafjallajökull, mm-hmm. the uh, eruption that mm-hmm. shut down European air traffic. Yep. Hello. Our airports are at a standstill tonight as volcanic ash from Iceland drifts across the region, making air travel too dangerous. We've been going to that since um, 2013. Actually, the rest of the group was there in 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't join until 2013. Okay. Uh, and studying that volcano as uh, microbial diversity recovers uh, as a Mars analog in order to understand what are the little microclimate parameters that help dictate habitability. And, and by using a, a cold volcano 
in a remote area without much human traffic. We can, we can start to nail that down. Stockton also appreciates that a new volcano in Iceland has been reserved just for scientific study. No tourists allowed. More recently, uh, Holokrun erupted, and that, uh, I think we were one of the first teams out on the lava after it uh, stopped outgassing enough to be safe for, for yeah. travel. And that one's a really vo- valuable volcano to be studying because they don't allow any travel to the, uh, the site of the eruption, hmm. except for with scientific permits. So without further ado, let me welcome today's guest, Dr. Amanda Stockton, an assistant professor in chemistry and biochemistry at Georgia Tech. Dr. Stockton, hi, and thanks for joining us on the show. Hi, thanks, and thank you for inviting me to be here. I'm really excited to participate in this with you. Stockton is getting a lot of camera time lately thanks to NASA video projects. In addition to the astrobiology in the field video, Stockton also took part in the NASA Ask an Astrobiologist video series. This particular episode is from 2018. In it, she talks about growing up on a cattle ranch in Oklahoma and earning a dual Bachelor of Science in Chemistry and Aerospace Engineering at MIT. Her studies obviously prepared her well for astrobiology research, But the real spark for that happened much earlier in her life. I was always interested in space, and I always wanted to go into space and look for signs of life. I grew up on Star Trek and Star Wars and um, just the whole idea of being able to find life beyond Earth was uh, incredibly exciting to me. Stockton tries to pass along that fire to her students. She also connects the dots between the sci-fi obsessions of her youth to her microfluidics research. There's just so many fun little discoveries and excitements that happen every day. Mm -hmm. And getting to work with my team of students that uh, there's always something new and exciting Mm -hmm. uh, that happens. And it's that that bit of discovery and and seeing uh, that spark of Mm -hmm. discovery uh, from from a student, that's 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 pretty nice. A, a large part of what my group does is microfluidics, and the goal of microfluidics for a long time has been to uh, make Spock's tricorder. Our <laughs> <laughs> information on these people and their culture was not correct. There is no evidence of any progress as far back as my tricorder can register. It doesn't seem likely. The way that we have framed our science fiction helps frame how we talk about our science and helps us uh, communicate what our goals and hopes and uh, objectives are across various scientific pursuits. Stockton is also trying to make things easier for anyone who needs microfluidics analysis. She and her team have a provisional patent for a method for building microfluidics testing devices that could bring down costs and make them more accessible. Producing custom microfluidics has been expensive because of the time required, Mm -hmm. but this could make it to where um, you could basically have a foundry set up to uh, accept orders and send things out. Wow, okay. It could be an enabling technology. I thank Amanda Stockton, assistant professor in the School of Chemistry and Biochemistry, for chatting with me about her astrobiology work. Check out our lab's website at www.astocto.com.
Thanks also to NASA, the BBC, and Paramount for use of TV clips. Cyan Joe, a former research associate in the School of Psychology, composed our theme music. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to Science Matters. We are on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. This is Science Matters, the podcast of the Georgia Tech College of Sciences. I'm Renee San Miguel. Thanks for listening. Thank you.